Well, okay, today we're, we're looking at, at Galatians chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 1 through 10. And, and while you're turning there, let me just tell you a story. I was watching uh, the, um, the Animal Planet here a while back, and, and so it was a story, and it was a show on the African Serengeti, and they were studying wildebeest. And so we've probably all seen the, the video clips of the wildebeest and, and how they migrate and work through uh, the African Serengeti. And so anyway, researchers have been studying them, and what they've learned about the wildebeest is this, is that they have what is called a swarm intelligence. In other words, this, they do life together. The fact is they, they're committed to do life together. They, they travel together. They walk together. They, they overcome obstacles together. They problem solve together. They protect one another together. They, they feed together. In fact, is they say that they have learned that even at night when they sleep, they don't all sleep. Fact is they take turns staying awake so someone can watch guard or, or can watch out. And because we know this, right? Every day of the life of a wildebeest, they are on the menu of someone, right? Whether it's a lion, a cheetah, uh, uh, a leopard, uh, uh, whatever. They're just on the menu of someone every day of their life. And they're even so intelligent with this swarm mentality that they have that they take the stronger wildebeest, uh, and they put them on the outside of the herd when they travel. And then they take the younger ones, sometimes the wounded ones, sometimes the, the ones that are sick, sometimes the older ones, and they place them in the center of the pack. And they travel and they do life together because it means survival. But we've all watched the clips, and there's always that one wildebeest, right? This says, I'm not doing life with you guys anymore. I don't like where you're headed. I don't like how you're solving the problems. I don't like where you're resting. I don't like where you're crossing. And so there's always that one wildebeest that says, I would rather to do life on my own. I don't need you. I don't need the pack. I don't need the herd. I don't need any of you guys. And so there's always that one wildebeest that begins to wander off. And, and the rest of the herd is like, Earl, don't. That's what they call them. They're like, like Earl, don't do it. Earl, don't do it. Don't leave us. And Earl's like, I don't like you guys. I don't want to be a part of you guys. And Earl wanders off. And, and we know this. And then the lions notice that. And they take notice of that. And they separate Earl out of the herd. And before long, Earl's missing a hindquarter and some other things. And, 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 and when you watch the clips, you see the whole herd kind of watching. I mean, I've watched them, right? I mean, kind of watching. It's like it's a, it's a mental reminder to them. Maybe what happens when you no longer want to do life as a group and you no longer want to do life as a pack and you no longer, you just kind of want to do your own thing. And this has serious spiritual implications as well because the scripture says this. The scripture says that Satan like a lion, roaming, looking for someone to devour, someone that he can isolate out of the group. And there's people all the time with church and say, I don't need a church. I don't like you guys. You weren't nice to me. You didn't remember my name. You didn't meet my needs. You didn't do the things that I wanted you to do. I don't need the church. And people are saying, don't do it. Don't do it. And they get isolated. 
We're in a series in the book of Galatians, and Paul is talking to the church, and then he sends this huge message to the church. And, and let me tell you, you are not called to go to a church. You're called to be the church. See, when you believe and when I believe, oh, I'm just called to go to church, then church becomes a destination to you. Church becomes brick and mortar to you. Church becomes a place that you go to. But whenever you look at church is a place that I go, you develop a consumer-minded mindset. And you begin to critique the church the same way you would a restaurant, a movie, a football team, are a gathering. And you develop that consumer-minded mindset to where you believe the church is for you. It's to beat my needs. It's to make me happy. It's to make decisions and things that, that suit me and that I like. And Paul says, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. You're not called to go to church. You are the church. You're called to be the church. You were created with a swarm intelligence to redo life together. You do life as one. You do life differently than the world or any other organization. And so Paul goes pretty deep into this issue and he says basically that there's just three words that would define the church. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 is where we'll start. But he develops three words and he says that, that in the church man, there is restoration. There should be responsibility that we should feel responsibility and then there are resources. And so those are the three words and we're just going to walk through them to, to, together as, as a church family as we look at this. And the first thing is this, is that in a biblical church there's to be restoration. In fact, is Paul said, and he quoted Jesus, said you should love your neighbor as yourself. Do you realize that's played out in the church? Did you realize that's the place that that is lived out? And so restoration should be part of a healthy community. Watch this, uh, verse 1, chapter 6. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression. Now, this isn't the harshest definition of a sin. This is, and it's not the lightest definition either, like a fault. This is, this is kind of middle of the road. In other words, this isn't a premeditated sin. This isn't something that's just rebellion and you know you shouldn't be doing it and you know it's wrong. This is those blind spots that we can all develop, right? They're where we develop blind spots and we really don't know that it's sin. We really don't know it's a problem. We really don't know that down the road it's going to hurt us. And so Paul is saying if any one of you is caught in a transgression, watch this, you who are spiritual all of a sudden, he gives the definition of what it means to be spiritually mature. It's not how many Bible verses you've memorized. It's not how many doctrines you know. It's not how many church services you have attended in your life. It's not, it's not how often you read the... It's none of that. In fact, as Paul says, spiritual maturity is understanding you're the church. Spiritual maturity is understanding that you're the church and that it's, it, and it's part of your call and part of who you are, that you're in this business of restoring people. Watch this. Because you who are spiritual should restore him 
in a spirit of condemnation, in a spirit of judgment? No. In a spirit of gentleness. And then a warning, but keep watch on yourself lest you be tempted. Man, Paul's saying that a brother or sister in Christ is carrying the weight of sin or carrying the weight of something that we should be in community because we're the church and we should be willing to restore them. In fact, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 5 and 6. Watch this. Paul writes, he says, For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn. Fighting without, fear within. That's a burden, right? I mean, I mean as it's happened to me. Uh, and I'm willing to bet it's happened to all of us in this room that whenever you fight battles from without, you always have fear within, right? I mean, the larger the battle that you're fighting without, the larger, the greater the fear within. I mean, Paul's describing someone that is carrying a burden, that you've got these battles all around you, whether it's, whether it's relational struggles, whether it's financial struggles, whether it's health, wh- whatever it is, you've got these battles. And if you're not careful, well, it's just true to life that you will have battles without, and it will develop fear within, fear of what's going to happen, fear of failure, fear of the future, fear of how is this going to work out. And watch this. He said, we had battles without and fear within, but God who comforts the downcast. But how? This is so important. But who comforts the downcast? Comforted us by the coming of Titus. Do you realize the way that God comforts you is through people? It's through the bearing of one another's burdens. It's through doing life together. There are so many Christians that will say, you know what, I'm carrying this, 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 this burden and I'm carrying this struggle in my life. And, and I know the Bible says that he comforts the downcast, but I just got to tell you, I don't think he's comforting me. I don't even feel he's comforting me. And I always ask him, are you in community with other believers? No, well, that's why. God comforts you through people who will pray for you and who will encourage you and who will support you. The Christian life was never designed to live in isolation. The Christian life was designed to live in in community. The fact is, successfully, the Christian life cannot be lived in isolation. Man, we need each other just the same way the wildebeest need one another. Well, we need each other. And... Yeah, we have to guard against isolation because it's something we naturally tend to do. I mean, when, when we fight those battles within and the fear without, we pull away and nobody will understand me, nobody will accept me. But in a biblical community, and I know this cuts the, across the grain of what the world teaches, but in a biblical community, we're to bear one another's burdens. See, the world, the world standard is this. The picture of success is to where you and I get to the point where we don't need anyone. And I'm so successful, I don't need anyone. I can make all the right decisions. I can do all the right stuff. I can make enough money. I can get enough education. I can do that. And the Bible says, absolutely not. We need each other. We were created with this swarm intelligence. 
It says that we're, boy, it says that we're here for each other. Watch this, verse 2, we'll just move on. Bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. But in Israel, uh, they, they did it when, in, in the culture when the Bible was written. And you know what? They still do it today. Uh, we were there with a group a few years back, took about 30 people uh, for 10 days in Israel. And for us, it was just something I'll never forget. And it was just a life-changing event. And so they will take their camels and they will take these ginormous wooden boxes and they place these ginormous wooden boxes on a camel and then they'll, they'll weigh the camel down and they'll put their supplies and different things in there that they want to transport. And then a guy comes along after he's weighted the beast, if you will, comes along and he grabs a rope and he, he guides the animal. You know what those boxes are called? Those boxes are called a burden. And there are people in your life, and guess what? There are people in my life that don't lift the burden, they give the burden. And there's two different types of people to where a person that gives the burden and weights you down is the person that is always reminding you of every sin you've ever commit, committed. They're always reminding you of how you didn't do it good enough, how you could do it better, how it would have worked out much better if you had have done it basically their way. You cannot have advisors in your life, if that's what you want to call them, that are always telling you what you did wrong, how you could have done better, how you should have done it better, reminding you of all of your sins. And you know what they weight you down with? They weight you down with guilt. They weight you down with condemnation. They weight you down with discouragement. And yes, they can even weight you down to the point of depression. That's not bearing one another's burdens. That's being a burden. The biblical picture of bearing one another's burdens is this. You lift the load. Where someone says, you may not be aware of the decisions that you're making, but you need to start making better decisions, and this is going to be a problem in your life, and, and guess what? I'll walk with you. I'll help you. I'll encourage you. I'll pray for you. See, that's the picture of bearing one another's burdens. We weren't called to go to church. We were called, we are called to be the church, to live in, to com in community with one another. And the vehicle that God chose to live that out is in the local church and then, then even in a smaller com community and that's what we call life groups to where we do life together in a community to where we get to know each other I mean how can how can you bear the burdens of people you go to church with when you don't even know them you don't even care And the Bible says that the way that we live that out is in life groups and coming into community with one another to where we open up the Word together and we, we, we not only do it daily, but we do it with a small group of people that, 
that can speak into our life and encourage and bear one another's burdens, and we can bear their burdens. I mean, it, it's a crazy thing, but, but when, when, when you just look at church statistics, you realize that, that uh, the average Christian doesn't really open up the Bible outside of church like the average Christian. The only Bible teaching they get is this period. And so let's just look at that for a second. There's 52 Sundays or weekends in a, in a year. Uh, let's say the average sermon, uh, sermon, 30 minutes long. So that's 26 hours. And then, then the, the statistics say that at any given time, only 60% of the church gathers together at any, on any weekend. So you, you take 60% of 26% and you end up with... Uh, 15.6 hours. The average Christian gets 15.6 hours of Scripture a year. How successful would you be in your business? If you said, I'm just going to spend 15 hours a year learning about my profession, could you feed your family? Could you even be successful? And I know what I hear. I hear pushback all the time. People say, wow, I'm just too busy. I am way too busy for a life group. I am way too busy to just open up Scripture daily and read it. And so I got on the web, Nielsen Company's website. Watch this. Per, per year, the average American watches 1,800 hours of TV. 360 hours on the Internet. 36 hours watching video on the internet. 36 hours watching video on their cell phones. No wonder we're losing the spiritual battle. No wonder people don't really know God. No wonder people don't really know what the scripture teaches. It's what you value. I hear people all the time tell me, I don't have time for that. And then they go through the year and then football season comes and they got all this discretionary time that they never knew they had. Whether it's Sunday, Monday night, Thursday night, all day Saturday. It's, listen, it's what you value. And God says that the way that we be the church is coming into community with one another. I mean, I got all kinds of stories what has happened in our church through the ministry of life groups to where people that are coming together, doing life together and opening up the word together and encouraging one another and praying one, with one another. Here a few weeks ago, had a family in our, in our church, and they're in a life group, and they'd been doing life together for a while, and, and one of the guys had uh, a medical condition, and so he went to the hospital, and, and he was in the hospital longer than they expected, and he was in the hospital on a night that they normally met in life group. So you know what the life group did? They moved their life group meeting to the hospital, and they gathered around a hospital bed, a guy that had a serious issue in his life, and they opened up the word together. That's bearing one another's burdens. It's not just saying, buddy, I'll pray for you. Bearing one another's burdens is saying, I'll pray for you and walk with you. Can you imagine the testimony of the nurses that our church had, of the nurses that walked in there, had to interrupt them sharing in a Bible study to take vitals? The doctor that had to interrupt that? There was one hospital that I visit uh, that I went to. There was a crisis in our church a year back, and I, by the time I got there, the, the their life group was flooded 
uh, flooding that place. And they were all over the place to where the nurse wouldn't let me in the room. And usually you can just pull the pastor card and they'll let you in anywhere in a hospital. And so she looked at me and says, you know what? I don't care if you're the pastor or not. She says, it's been insane the number of visitors that this individual has had. She says, who are these people? I said, oh, they, they go to church together. And she says, could you please tell me the name of your church? I've got to visit this. I, I want to be a part of a community like that that bears one another's burdens. Now, let me tell you something. Life change happens best in circles rather than rows. And Paul is saying... That we've got to understand. Man, we're the church. Church isn't some place that we go. Man, we're, we're the church. And that's why we're starting off a bunch of life groups. If you're not in a life group, let me encourage you. Uh, Travis and Diana Judkins are starting a life group in Pueblo West. If you'd like to be a part of that, you can let us know on your Connect card. Uh, Mike and Deb Hinkle are starting a life group in, on the north side of town. Uh, just a wonderful couple. Uh, Stan and Kay Abel starting a life group in Rye, Colorado City. And we've got about 30 people that travel in from Rye, Colorado City area every weekend for, for our church. And they're starting one. Uh, John Vukic is starting a, starting a kind of an interesting life group for, for gearheads and motorheads. And so if, if you like anything with a motor on it, then that would be the life group for you. And so uh, Yvonne Doria and Leslie Emery are starting a life group just set aside for single moms so they can bear their burdens and they can walk together. And we've got single small groups. We've got college small groups, we, life groups. We've got all kinds. And boy, find one. And you're called to be the church. So many times, I carry the burden of the burdens that people carry into this church when most of the church are just walking away and it's like they don't care. So he tells us that restoration is a part of a healthy community and then he says, you know what? Responsibility. In other words, we all have a responsibility. We all have a responsibility to bear one another's burdens. Verse 2, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. In other words, Paul goes into this issue about comparisons, and, and uh, as he starts walking through this, see, the world tells you this, and I'm just telling, I'm just teaching you, telling you what the world teaches. The world teaches you this, and you know you've heard it, and, and, and let me just tell you, there are some pastors that will teach you this as well. There are some self-help books that will teach you this as well, that they will tell you your ability to love others or to have a better relationship is your ability first to love yourself, right? You've heard that, Right? They tell you, you've got to love yourself first before you can love anyone else. fact is, they'll tell you the most important thing to a healthy relationship is high self-esteem for the individual. But here's what the Bible says. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, deceives himself. How about that for some positive thinking? See, this picture that the world says to have a healthy relationship, you have to have high self-esteem or you have to love yourself goes against Scripture. And a lot of Christians have bought into that because of, of one Scripture. Love your neighbor as yourself. But that's ripping it out of context. What if? What if? What the Bible says is right 
in the way to love others, it's not about thinking about our thoughts and revolving around ourselves, but what if love for others is about realizing there is nothing good in me except for Jesus Christ. Successful relationships are not high self-esteem is what the Bible is what the world says, but successful relationships are not high self-esteem. It's high Christ-esteem. Christ is the one that produces fruit in your life. Spirit-filled community is when Christ lives through you. Watch this verse 4, but let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. He's talking about comparisons. Listen, comparisons will kill you. Comparisons will destroy you. And I'm just telling you, I've lived there. I've done that. For each will what? For each will have to bear his own load. In other words, each has a responsibility in a biblical community. The NIV would say that that we live that way without comparing ourselves to others. And Paul is, is saying instead of looking to your thoughts and actions and attitudes in view of how well you're doing by comparing yourselves to others because it is true we can all find someone that's doing worse than us right I mean we, we, we say this well at least I'm doing better than such and such at least I'm not as messed up as they are and the Bible says that creates pride and that creates arrogance but what if the Bible was right And the Bible said healthy relationships is when we come to the point and we take our thoughts, our attitudes, our words, our actions and see them through the lens of the holiness of God. And then we realize how much in need of grace we are, how much we are in need of forgiveness and how much we are in need of prayer and and how much we are in need of him. It's so easy to compare ourselves to others. And it puffs up. It makes us arrogant. It makes us prideful. I hear it all the time. And Paul would say, when you compare your actions to the holiness of a loving, perfect, righteous God, and you realize how much grace you need, You realize what you need to be forgiven for? You realize that nothing good resides in you except for him? Then it changes the way you love others around you. Because now you view them as a person that needs grace, as a person that needs forgiveness, as a person that needs love. And it doesn't cause you to be arrogant. I mean, Jesus, if you're life journaling with us, Jesus in, in Luke chapter 8 said this, says, says, he who has been forgiven of much loves much. But he who has been forgiven of little loves little. When you realize, when I understand what God has forgiven me for, that without him I would be a wreck, I'd be a mess, There'd be no hope. 
and how much I need his grace and how much I need his forgiveness, then it sets me free to love people and bear their burdens at a, at a different level. Now, the world won't teach you that. The world tells you it's the opposite, and that's why relationships struggle. And Paul says, unhealthy comparisons creates pride in life. Verse 26, watch this. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. The, the word provoke in, is a verb in the Greek, and it literally means to challenge someone so that you can show you are better than them. So that was what was happening in the, the church here that Paul's writing to. The, the Pharisees came in, the legalists came in, and they were better rules keepers than the others. And so they were comparing themselves by basically who could keep the rules the best, which made them superior. Galatians 5.15, Paul says this, But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. If you're not careful in relationships, you'll destroy each other. I hear this all the time as a pastor. When you bite and devour and attack and provoke, don't ask for forgiveness, brokenness, Not just one person gets consumed. Not just one person gets destroyed. Paul says when you do that, you consume. You consume one another. Anytime you gossip about me, you hurt both of it. Anytime I gossip about you, I hurt you in the body. So Paul says, there's restoration, there's responsibility, and the last thing he says, there's, there's resources. Watch what he says in verse 6. He says, one who has taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Now, now he begins moving into to how you handle your money and how you handle your resources. And, 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 and I just got to tell you, this is, for me, this is the most uncomfortable verse to preach in the proper context. Because this verse basis, basically says that you need to take care of me. Now, I'm totally uncomfortable with that. So, I've prayed all week about how to handle this. And, and so, let me, just, let me just tell you this. Let me just tell you, with deep humility, thank you. On behalf of all of our pastors here, how you provide for us. I don't know if a, a pastor has ever gotten up and just said, I want to take a few minutes and tell you thank you for how you provide for us. That I don't have to go out and get a second job or a, or a third job. That I can devote myself to the ministry of the word that I can focus from what the Scripture teaches and what the Scripture says. And, and that's why Paul encouraged them to do that, so that the pastor, the one who teaches the pastors, can focus on the Word and correctly preach and divide the Word of God. And so, let me just tell you, thank you. 
further away our elders and our church provides for us. I spend a lot of time during the week just in study. And it even goes farther than that. Let me just tell you, thank you that you allow me here just to preach the word without fear of being politically correct because you know I'm pretty politically offensive. Well, fact is the word is politically offensive. It is not your best life now. Your best life is to come. No matter how many books it sells. No matter how many people pack the stadiums. And let me just tell you, thank you for allowing me to preach the word and the truth. People are walking away from the church in the droves because no one's speaking the truth anymore. They're saying the same thing that Oprah's saying. They're saying the same thing that Dr. Phil's saying. They're saying the same thing that the world is saying because they're just trying to get enough people together to make them feel good. Thank you for allowing me to do that. Thank you that because of the time that I spend in the Word, I miss a lot of hospital visits. No, I miss all of them. I mean, this last week we had seven families in the hospital. It took Steve over 14 to 20 hospital visits that he made this last week. That would be almost all I would do. He does other duties as well. And to, to my knowledge... I have never been criticized because I missed a hospital visit or because I missed a gathering or because I missed a party or I missed a celebration. Not all pastors can say that. And let me just tell you, thank you for the way that you, that you allow me to minister here. And Paul goes on, verse 7, he says, Do not be deceived. And God is not mocked. For whatever, for whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And he's talking about we all have this responsibility if we're going to bear one another's burdens, not only to be in community with one another, but to give. To share our resources. And I know as Christians, we get freaked out every time someone's launching a, a lawsuit against the government trying to take off in God we trust the motto on the dollar bill. But the truth is, most of us trust more in the dollar bill than we do in God. It's just a motto. It's just words on a piece of money. And I would encourage you to move to the point to where you're, you believe this enough to where you truly trust him. See, God has not called us to go to church. God has called us to be the church, to minister to people. Verse 9, and let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we will reap If we do not give up, you fight fears, battles without, fears within long enough, you'll give up. You fight that long enough, you'll give up. And that's why you need people around you that will encourage you and support you and help you. Verse 10, watch this. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Then watch this. 
and especially to those who are in the household of the faith, the family of believers, the local church. He has not called us to go to a church. He has called us to be the church, and the church is a family, and we need each other. And Paul is saying, you have a responsibility to meet the financial and the emotional and the spiritual needs of those that are around you. Who's going to provide for the single moms? Who's going to provide for the poor? Who's going to provide for the helpless? Who's going to provide? And then verse 2, watch this. We'll just close this way. He says this one last time. Bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. Just consider for a second. It's something I live with every day of my life. Just consider for a section, sec- second the number of burdens that are brought in this place every service. The hurts, the pains, the battles without, the fear within, the questions. Consider with me just for a second, and I could sit up here and I could talk the rest of the day. Stuff that people carry in this church. Wondering if anybody cares. Wondering if anybody will accept them. Wondering if anybody will walk with them. And we can never lose sight as a church that people come into this place carrying burdens. And so many people see the church as a place that I go. They meet my needs. I critique them. I decide if it's good. I decide if it's bad. And I walk away. There are people every week that bring burdens in this church. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, you find that the early church, they just didn't go to church. They were the church. And they looked at God's word together. And they encouraged one another and they supported one another. And they understood what God had called them to do. But we have every week people that bring burdens into this place. And maybe this morning you're one of them. It doesn't have to be a sin issue. Maybe you bring the burden of finances in this place. Maybe you bring the burden of a marriage that is struggling and there's hurt and there's pain. Maybe you bring the burden in this place that you're a parent and you got a child that's making some decisions that you don't want them to make. And you're bringing the burden of feeling like a failure And you could have done better. You should have been a better mom. You should have been a better dad. Maybe you're bringing the burden of an illness in this place. The medical report didn't come back well. And that you're concerned about your future and your health. Maybe you're bringing the burden of an addiction in this place. And you just want to stop. 
Maybe you're bringing the burden of wondering if God really loves you and God really comforts the downcast and maybe you're bringing the burden of unforgiveness. And no matter how many times you've asked for forgiveness, you just feel like it's too big. Maybe you're bringing the burden of just feeling like a failure. I don't know what it is. But I can tell you this. We got a lot of people that bear burdens in this place, hoping and praying that there's a God in heaven that loves them and there's people that will walk with them and be honest and real and transparent, restore them and no condemnation and no guilt. Not put burdens on them, but lift burdens off of them. And my guess is that if you're carrying a burden this morning, you've already identified it. I mean, you, when I read verse 2 at the start of this sermon, you knew what that burden was. I didn't have to identify it for you. So here's what we're going to do, and we're going to close a little bit differently. This is when the church is going to just be the church. Uh, I'm going to pray for you guys, and then I'm going to ask you to stand. And then when I ask you to stand after I pray, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you if you're carrying a burden this morning, that as we stand, you step out, you come down the center aisles, you come down the outer aisles. I'll be down here kneeling. Uh, I've carried a burden all week, to be honest with you. This, this sermon is very, very personal to me. Very personal. We need each other. I need you and you need me. We need each other. And so I'm going to ask that as we stand, you step out, you come, you just kneel at this altar. And that you just transparent and say, I got a burden. This is a safe place. Don't let pride keep you from doing it. Pride will keep you from doing it. Don't let arrogance keep you from doing it. Don't let fear. This is a safe place. Father, we thank you for this morning. Father, we thank you for your love. And Father, we thank you for your grace. Father, may we be a biblical community. May we bear one another's burdens. May we realize that people carry unbelievable weight and burdens in this place. May we be a church of restoration, not guilt, not condemnation, but great acceptance. Father, we love you. We give you this time. Father, would you remove pride? Would you remove any fear? Would you draw people to your, yourself? Would they know this is a safe place? as they step out, walk down these aisles, and kneel at this altar. For we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.